Philippians chapter 1, beginning in 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, which I shall, which I shall, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So last week uh, we, were, we spent all of our time uh, really pretty much on verse 21, uh, discussing what Paul and all what was involved in the phrase or in the sentence, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So I think on your notes, if you have the old notes, it's page 13 is where we are. Um, the new notes, that's the first page, which is page 13. Um, but I want to read to you a, uh, a quote from uh, J. Vernon McGee. And he says this. He says, gain is always more of the same thing. If to live is Christ, then to die would be more of Christ. The idea of gain is a precious thought concerning death. At death, Christians collect the dividends from the investment of their earthly, temporal life for Christ, and God pays the richest dividends eternally. We will, we will gain both in what we lose, the sinful body, temptation, sorrow, sufferings, enemies, etc., and in what we gain, glorified body, personal presence with Christ, joy, reunion with departed saints, etc. Uh, and so that's, again, as we mentioned last week, one of the ways we can look at verse 21 is, is really the essence of Christianity, of your life as a Christian, uh, when it comes to how we view life. So the application of all this is really very simple. Um, three things. Do what God gives you to do today. Number two, trust God with tomorrow. Number three, death, when it comes, will be a great gain. There you go. Life is nice and simple. Uh, just to, to remind you, when we say do what God gives you do, to do today, remember that involves every aspect of your life. So whatever your responsibilities are at work, whatever your responsibilities are at home, that it involves every aspect of life. We, remember, we don't want to allow ourselves to get into this thinking that we have a spiritual life and, and a physical life or a secular life. It is all intertwined intimately together. Um, and when you fulfill your responsibilities at home, you are, you are doing God's will. God's will is not just if you're sharing Christ with someone. Obviously, that's important, all right? But if you're taking out the trash, that is, that's God's will for your life. It's not a bad thing. All right? When you take care of your children, when you change a stinky diaper, uh, but when you play with your kids, all right? when you and your wife go on a date, or you and your husband, you go on a date, that's God's will for your life. God wants us to live, the, he's given us the life that we live here now. This is not just a, we're not in a holding pattern waiting for our real life to begin later. Our, our life begins now with Christ. What we do now is important. And when you read what the Bible says about heaven, um, it is not you and I sitting in a cloud playing a harp. Right? We're not doing that. Okay? We, we will have, it, it, just a, a, a quick quick way to think about it, it's pretty much like living here on earth, except no curse of sin. No curse of sin. That sounds pretty nice. Yeah, it would be more than that. It would be pretty great. Um, it's fabulous. There's stuff to do. Um, I do believe, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of detail given. There's a few glimpses. Um, but, you know, a lot of things that we do now, for example, if you, when you read kind of through history, and let's say you read the history of science, and as all these men and women are discovering different things in science, um, for many of those individuals early on in the 1700s, 1600s, 1500s, many of them were believers, not all of them, but many of them. And their idea was, this is God's world, God has created it, we get to learn how God's world functions. We, we get to see firsthand what God did. We get a glimpse of God's glory as we learn these things. So I think that what, what will happen then in the future is to be more of the same. Whether it's in science or nature or whatever it happens to be. Um, all those things. I, my, one of my favorite things is when I would take my kids and we go hiking. 
uh, in a lot of different places. You know, as I know a lot of you know, we had a really rough raising the kids. We lived in Hawaii, and uh, <laughs> it was just really, really hard. You know, we we suffered every day. The weather was great every day, and you know, just I mean, what do you do? But we, we suffered through it. But uh, what happened was is so whether we go hiking up to a waterfall or there was a place on the Big Island called the Kau Desert, which was just this huge old lava field, just, I mean, just barren, completely barren, but it was actually, it was really cool. But to be able to go on all those hiking trips with them and then just basically help them to understand the perspective that we have, this is what God did. When you, when you, there would be times when you could go hike back to a waterfall. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes at the, at the waterfall, when you're looking at the waterfall, uh, you can see a rainbow form. It's really cool. Right, so I would talk to him. I would say, you know, we, look at the, uh, we would look at the rainbow, and I would say, now, just think for a minute. God did not have to have a rainbow. He didn't have to have a rainbow with colors. He didn't have to create us with the ability to see those colors. Why do you think God did that? Because he wanted to. And he wanted to share with us these great things that he can do. He wasn't doing it to brag. He was doing that to make us happy. Yeah. That's, that's what he was doing. And I think it's cool. It is so great. Um, there was one place we could, we could hike back to. It was called Sacred Falls. So, you know, it's all, you know, it wasn't like up high in the mountains. Um, of course, it's Hawaii, so it's, all, it's always warm there. But this waterfall, the water was so cold that if you could, you could throw in a few ice cubes, and if you're there for maybe two hours, you can still see the ice cubes. They've melted some, but I mean, that water was cold. But it was just so great. Uh, and wherever you are, just to be able to, to look at everything that this world has, all of nature, and look at it through the eyes that God want, he wants us to see these things. Because as he says in his word, all these things speak of his glory. Uh, and if you ever get a chance to go to the Creation Museum, which is uh, up in Kentucky, they have state-of-the-art, a state-of-the-art planetarium. And, you know, a planetarium, they, they can basically, in a sense, take you into space and show you all the, a lot of wonders of space. And so they have a, uh, a uh, you know, they change the program. I think they do, they, they run a program for like six months, then change it. You know, they run it for a while, but all the programs they have are great. But if you ever get a chance, of course, and the difference is, is you're not, you're not sitting there like in a university class where, you know, they're giving you the perspective of, of secular science, which doesn't want anything to do with God. You're getting this perspective from Christians, but from, from really top-notch scientists. And when they begin to go through their program and explain the wonders of the universe, it's, un, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it just blows your mind uh, when you see all those things and, and you're getting some explanation. Too much might ruin it because you're like, what did he say? <laughs> you know, right, but when they explain it and you see the things that are out there, you know, they can they can show you what only the most expensive telescopes can can see, and they can kind of bring it down into this place. It's an experience that is just fantastic. Um, so if you ever get a chance to go there, you definitely want to get the extra ticket for the planetarium show because um, that's I think one of the highlights of being there. And again, it's just because of this perspective that we have as Christians. So the bottom line is when all is said and done, there's really only two philosophies of life. You can say with Paul, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or you can say to the world, to me to live is self and to die is loss. That's it. That's all the world can say. Um, and uh, um, next time you have an opportunity, it, it's hard nowadays because... Um, the way funerals are done. But if you go to a funeral of a friend that you know is unsaved, do a lot of thinking about what that means. No matter what the, you know, just so you, sometimes people who are speaking may not always speak as truthfully as they should. Not that we should stand there and say this individual's in hell. Um, but sometimes we try to preach people into heaven. Uh, but just kind of pay attention to the differences in the lives of individuals who aren't believers when they bury a non-believer and the difference between that when, and, and with us when we bury an individual who has lived a life where we are all certain that person knew Christ. It's just a huge, huge difference uh, in just the way that we view every aspect of remembrances and life and what's to come and that kind of thing. Yes? Pastor, 
will the other prophets and teachers and um, people that were in the Bible, like Paul and mm -hmm. um, John the Baptist mm -hmm. and all them, are will, will we be able to see them in heaven? Sure. Okay. Uh, remember the uh, story where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. And we call it the Mount of Transfiguration, where they see the glory of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then it says Elijah and Moses appeared, and they were just they were talking with Jesus. And so Peter, James, and John all saw them and knew who they were. So I think that that gives to us uh, important clues as to what's beyond the grave. And several, there's, so there's several things we can draw from that. Number one, Peter, James, and John knew who those men were. They, they actually, I mean, they knew, I mean, obviously that was revealed to them by God, but they knew who they were. They saw them. Um, they were standing there speaking and having a discussion with Jesus. Jesus is human when this takes place. Um, and they are spirit, even though they have bodies. Um, and so I, I think that helps us to, it gives us a glimpse that yes, we'll, we'll meet those individuals, we'll know them, as well as uh, we'll know each other when we get to heaven. Um, so I think it's pretty, pretty cool. I don't, I don't, I'm one of those who doesn't think that there's anything in the Bible that's there by accident or just, yeah, that was interesting. I, I think all of it's profound. Not that we want to read into it. So that's why I don't want to make dogmatic assertions, but I'll say it seems to me that, that what that is giving us is a glimpse of how things can be in the future. And so, and I, and I think the conclusions we draw from that, I think that's pretty solid. Um, and we can kind of, as you would say, roll with that. Okay. Um, so it's all good. So verse 22, Paul goes on. Uh, he's, going to, he's now going to begin to explain a little more about what he just said in verse 21. He says, so if I am to live in the flesh, that means continue on the life he has now, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. <laughs> So Paul is expanding on the options of life or death. All right? This is how he sees it. This is how he understands it. And so he says, if he continues his sojourn on earth, which what, that's what he means, he says, but if I live on the flesh, then he sees that as an opportunity to bear more fruit. So what he doesn't say is, if I am to live in the flesh, that's great because I haven't finished my bucket list. All right? That's not what he's interested in. He doesn't care about his bucket list. Why? He wants to continue to uh, do the work and the ministry that God has given him. And, and he's convinced that his work will be fruitful. And he'll see more and more people come to Christ. And those that are believers, to see them mature in Christ. And that's what he wants to see. So he has this real strict single-mindedness when it comes to his life. That does not mean that he thinks everything else is no good. So it's not that. Right? But, but when it comes to his perspective... This idea, this is why I'm still alive. I think I've told you before, I won't tell you all the details of the story, uh, but I've, I've had to do this twice, where I've had to go see someone who was supposed to die, they were ready to die, they were expected to die, and they were really close to death. Like, the hospice nurses and all that said, yeah, they're, <coughs> they only have a few hours left. And the individuals made a, like a, a complete recovery. It was truly amazing. But in these two cases, I had to go and speak with them because they were very, very sad. Because they fully expected to wake up in heaven and they weren't there. And they were disappointed that they were still here. They weren't disappointed to see their family, you know, but they were truly disappointed. Uh, and so in each of those cases, one of the things that I talked to them about is even though they were ready, which is great, what a great thing it is to be ready to die. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a great blessing. Uh, and, and so as we talk about that, I say, but what we do know is God doesn't make mistakes. So there's, there may be several things in play here. Number one, it may be that there's someone else or others that they're not ready for you to go yet, and God's being merciful to them. Perhaps there's some more things God wants you to do, meaning for you to do for him whatever that happens to be. In this one case, uh, the man was in his 80s. Yeah, he was 80, uh, around 80, maybe 81. Uh, and I was at his house and, and heard, the, I've heard a death rattle before, and I know what that is. And uh, it was a Thursday night, so I was fully expecting him either Friday or Saturday. That was it, he was gonna be with the Lord. 
And so Saturday I was called and I went to the house because he was awake and he was at the table eating breakfast. Um, but he was kind of depressed and a little upset uh, because he, his, all his family had come in. Uh, he had said goodbye to everybody and he was expecting to wake up in heaven. And the, I had seen the tumor on his stomach. He lost a lot of weight toward the end because he wasn't eating and you know, they're just doing the IV thing or whatever. And so this, the, the tumor was protruding. When I went to go see him that morning, you couldn't see it. I don't know if it was remission or if he was healed. I don't know. He lived nine more years. Uh, but I told him, I said, I'm, I, I can't tell you what it is that God wants you to. I have no idea. I said, but, you know, be alert uh, uh, when it comes to your life. And so what ended up happening was is uh, his wife's from Thailand, and uh, she was the only believer uh, in the family. And over the next couple of years, some of her family members had become Christians. He then, with his wife, went back to Thailand. She went to go see her family members that had become Christians. She had been praying for them for a long time. And so she was then concerned because the village they lived in had no church. And so uh, this guy was wealthy. So he was going to help them build a church building. And they were praying because they didn't know what they were going to do with the, uh, for a pastor. Because there were only a few believers and they were just brand new. But it just so happens... Um, that there was a man who had been a missionary in, in a different section of Thailand and uh, the church that he had planted and had been working in for a long time basically got to a point where he could turn it over to the locals and it was time for him to go. And he didn't know what he was going to do. And they ran into him. So guess what his next ministry was? It was in that town. So they built a church. They had, they had a minister. Of course, there was no money, but it didn't matter because her husband could take care of his salary, um, and it's a lot less to live there than here, but he took care of it, and through the course of the next several years after that, um, many more members of her family died. They, they became believers. Um, I don't think every single member of her family is a believer, but it's, we're talking like, like 8 out of 10, 80%, 90% of her families now become believers, and, but they all have a church to go to. Now, the church isn't just made up of her family, um, but... For her, that was where the great interest was, and that was kind of the catalyst for this church starting. Um, so he, he did die eventually. Her husband did die nine years after that one day. Um, and so I saw her last, I think it was last week, and um, when we were talking, she showed me pictures of inside the church, and it wasn't to see what the church looked like. It was a service that was going on. And uh, in the church, they had paid for one of their members to go to seminary and he had graduated and was going to be going into the ministry and working with that church and with another one which was just fabulous and it was all big and so this man who uh, was fully expecting to die and was extremely disappointed that he didn't ended up finding out what it was that God wanted him to do it was in all, none of that was an accident it's not an accident he was rich not an accident that he was married to this lady from Thailand. Was, none of that was an accident. Uh, and it was all done in God's timing in really in an incredible way. Um, and so it was just really cool to see all that and to hear all that. Um, and so that's what it is, uh, how it should be for us. So Paul saw himself as an instrument for the unleashing of God's glory as long as time permitted. So again, he talked about here, he mentioned that he was expecting there to be, his labors to be fruitful. So the Bible does speak about fruit. There's three ways, uh, three general kinds of fruit. So let me cover them with you uh, very quickly. There is the, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, there is spiritual fruit that is primarily um, our attitudes. Um, if, if you read Galatians 5, verses 23 through 23, basically every believer will manifest all the aspects of this fruit to some degree, one, one mistake many people make when they read Galatians is they believe that it's talking about the fruits of the Spirit, and that's incorrect. It's fruit. It's singular. It's very important. All right, so it's not like you can get a little bit of kindness, and then in a few years you're going to get um, patience. All the, all, the, all the aspects of this one fruit are, are mentioned there in Galatians 5. So, but like, like any fruit, whether you, like if you go to the store to get pineapple... Um, if the pineapple is not ripe, it's going to be green, right? And then when pineapple ripens, it ripens from the bottom up, and like some fruit, it, it will ripen kind of unevenly. So the same thing happens with us. 
Uh, as we become, when we become believers, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and our attitude is immediately going to become different. It's going to begin to change. And all the aspects that Galatians 5 talks about, we then possess. We're not, we're not always going to be able to exercise it the way we ought to. It's not always going to be very visible to others because we're at different levels of maturity. But as we mature, more and more of, those, uh, of the various aspects of the fruit is going to become visible. So one of the manifestations then of, of being a true believer is a change in your attitudes towards others. Right? So, because some people say, well, I, you know, I just, I, I don't know how there could be, a, uh, people could see a change in my life. I was never, you know, I didn't deal drugs, I didn't beat people up, I didn't rob people. There were no big sins that I had to confess. And, and that's great if you didn't have any what we call big sins to confess. But people should still see changes in your life, and that's where they're going to see it primarily is that. The way we treat people. Uh, maybe the way we treat people when we're tired. The way we treat people when we're sick. Uh, the way we treat people when we're in private. Uh, the way we treat people when we're under a lot of stress, you know, that kind of thing. There's times that we're going to blow it, right? There'll be times we'll be feeling stressed, and we don't always treat everybody real nice. You know, we're, we can snap at them. Sometimes we can be really ugly. But as we grow as believers, what should happen is this. What should happen is those types of what I guess you want to call them mishaps should happen less and less. Because you're maturing as a believer. Your attitudes, you're, 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 you are gaining a, a greater aspect and manifestation of the attitudes of Jesus Christ. So you should become more merciful and more loving and more kind and more patient, period. All right? I can't tell you by what degrees, all right? but the bottom line is all those things are changing as you mature as a believer. Yes, Mike? How much of that is, is uh, your own choice, or is it just automatic, or is it Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's all of that. A, we are aware of that. Um, we, but, but if you have to put them in an order, even though we, we, it is in one sense a, a choice, clearly it's not only that. It can never be just that. Um, I would say their choice is, would be on the bottom part of that. A lot of that is automatic as we mature. The big problem is, is, is with us would be then, it's not that we don't want to be mature or we don't want to be kind, is we're not really concerned about growing as Christians. That's where the problem comes in, right? Our heart has to change. The only way we can change our heart is Christ. As my heart changes, those attitudes will automatically change. Yes? And also, I think, too, your focus, or focus is more that changes, too. Your sure, focus absolutely. Is, your focus now is pleasing who has saved you, mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. So your focus is not now on the thing that you were doing. It's just, your whole focus has to change. And right. That, and that's just filtered down into every mm -hmm. part of your life mm -hmm. over time. Yes. So, and that's true for all of us. So, but remember now, this is a lifelong process. Okay, so remember, there will be believers who will disappoint us sometimes because they don't always express a Christ-like attitude. But neither do we. We don't have to worry about not measuring up to others, even though it's not always bad to recognize that others may be much more advanced. I, we, want, we want to get there, but we just can't get there by our own willpower. Right? And it's not apart from this dependence upon Christ and growing as a believer, which again, growing as a believer is, it, it is gaining knowledge, greater knowledge of the Bible, that's true, but it's not just gaining intellectual knowledge or understanding a passage better exegetically, though that's important. It's also then, as we learn, we submit to what the Word of God says. You know, I, I want the Word of God to change me. And it's the truth that God uses to help to change us. Uh, yes, Mike? Also, maybe uh, the temptation is, my struggle one minute, say the temptation is to go off the handle and be short-tempered, and then other times you don't even realize you're being patient, you're not even trying to be patient. Correct. Yes, because you, that's because you are. That's what you are becoming. All right. Um, so if you know anyone who is very, very patient, normally they're not aware of their patience. To them, that's just how they are. All right. And then when someone points it out, they have to think about it. That's why we have to be careful how we answer some people. We sometimes we unintentionally steal glory from God. Remember, Moses could not go into the promised land because of that, because of one word. 
All right, so the way that works is this. So I'm dealing with someone, and Ron is aware of it, and after a while, Ron says, Bob, I don't know how you do that. That's, you are so patient. Why, how, how did you get that way? And then I say, well, you know, that's just how some of us are. Okay, that's untrue. All right? Or if I say, well, you know, I've, I've always been that way. Okay, time out. No. All right? I'm that way because of Christ. I, I mean, I really, even, if I was, even if I was already beginning with maybe more patience than others, I'm growing in patience because of Christ. So it's, it, we're not trying to be... So, I, so what I don't want to say is I don't want to say, oh, no, Ron, I'm just a pig. That's just all God. Okay, that, okay that's not really the, the best way. It would be just basically, thank you. I just want you to know, though, that it really is the Lord. You see, what I'm doing there is I'm not, I'm not downplaying me. I'm not saying you shouldn't have given me the compliment because I really am a pig. Um, that's not what he was trying to get at. So you can still say thank you, but at the same time, you want to make sure you redirect in a very real way, because we're not trying to be phony, but it really, I mean, it really is. It's because of the Lord. In fact, if sometimes, sometimes there's changes that have happened in our lives, and we are, we are, like you said, we're kind of unaware of it. And then we become aware of it when someone says something, and then if you stop and think about it, you're like, wow, you know, I, mean, I really am different. You know, God really has whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not like I was 10 years ago. How great is that? Um, uh, in fact, I, I think that um, even the way, like, if you argue with your wife and your, or your husband, which I think a lot of us do, we should argue differently. Right? The way we handle the argument is different. Uh, the way we get over it is different. You know, maybe there'll be a day when you don't argue at all. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that might happen. Um, but the bottom line is, is those, those changes take place. Uh, and it's really very important. So that's, so that's one of the, when, when the Bible speaks of, of fruit, uh, that's one of the things, is, is that type of thing, is the attitude. And so if our spiritual attitudes are present, then basically the fruit of good deeds is going to follow that automatically. That's going to happen. So the, thec- the second aspect of spiritual fruit then would be action. So the first one is attitude. The second one is action. Let me read to you from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here, as Paul writes to the, the believers in, in Colossae, he is describing believers that are filled with or controlled by the knowledge of God's will. All right? they're, they're, that's what controls them. That means that they've submitted to it. So they're not robotic. They've submitted to that. Um, uh, they, have, they, have, they are controlled by the knowledge of, of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. <clears throat> so they have a walk or they have a life that's worthy of the Lord. Their, their walk or their life is pleasing to God. They're bearing fruit in every good work. So that's spiritual action. So you have these attitudes, then you're doing good things for others. You're doing good things for others because you want to. Right? You're not looking to get anything back. You don't care about that. You see a need, you do it. Now, some people are kind of naturally that way. They want to help others and meet needs, and that's good. So what happens is, is now that's taken to another level. All right? Where, you're, where you are, you're willing maybe to make more of a sacrifice. But you're also doing it because you want the individual to know how good God is. So you're not thinking you're God. It's not that. But you want, but you want them to know. Uh, in fact, you might even be hoping or praying they'll ask you why you're doing whatever you're doing so you can tell them, because God has been so good to me, um, I in turn want to obey him and he wants me to be good to others. That's how God is good to us. It's normally through people. You know, if, if, whenever a person needs financial help, God rarely, if ever, will cause money to fall from the sky. But he'll meet your need through someone else, uh, and they'll use of their needs as they're moved by God to help you. Whether it's a church or whether it's through an individual, whatever. That's how God meets our needs, through other people. Our need for companionship, um, our need for friendship, uh, a lot of things. All those things are, are met. All right? God doesn't need us. He allows us to be part of really his ministry here on earth. 
and so it's these actions that we do. So we want to make sure that we're not the kind of believer who's content with just going to church and then going home and going to work and those things never cross paths. We want to make sure that we are, we are, we are doing good for others. What does that look like? Well, it's going to look differently in the lives of different people depending on where you are in life. For some who are retired, they may have more time to do certain things. Others who are young and both working and raising a family, there may be, in one sense, less, but it doesn't mean there's nothing. There's all, there's all kinds of ways. There's people that we meet um, that, that God brings across our path, and he desires to meet their need through us, whatever that need may happen to be. Um, and I do think that, in, it, you know, some people are like, well, I don't have money for that. Well, in most cases, it's got nothing to do with money. Right? You'd be amazed. There's, remember, there's a ton of people in this world, more so now than ever, that are extremely lonely. They've got nobody. I mean, they, they have no one. There's no one they can trust. No one that they can, uh, that they can just in, maybe in a sense be themselves with. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, many individuals in the world... Uh, one of the reasons why bars and those kinds of things are so popular is because people feel, when they go there and they drink and spend time with people, they feel like they can get close to people. And the reason for that is two reasons. Number one is because they drink, so that lowers inhibitions. And then number two, um, what we normally share immediately is our negativity and complaints. And so we, we connect really quick that way. All right? Whether it's just talking about your dumb sports team that you like, um, or politics, or whatever, when, we, when, people, when more than one person is complaining about something and we all kind of join in the complaints, we feel a, a camaraderie, camaraderie that, with all that. And, and people long for that. It, it ends up being kind of shallow, but, you know, they're trying to get whatever they can. So you and I just befriending individuals, being kind to them, is, is massively important inside the church and outside the church. So, so don't think it's only outside the church. Now, I know I've said this many times before, we need to remember it. There are people inside the church where they don't have family. They don't have family that, that they can be that way with. There's no one that's going to love them the way we love them. No one really cares the way we do. We, sometimes we find, find it hard to believe, but it's true. And so we, we need to be there for them. That's what the family of Christ is for. Uh, in, that, in that sense. That's why uh, when the Bible talks about hospitality and those things, it says no, you, you, you don't want to get into this thing where you invite someone to your house for dinner knowing that they're going to invite you to their house for dinner. That's, that's not what you do. That may happen sometimes, so it's not, a, it's not sinful. But what you want to make sure you do is you want to make sure you're inviting maybe certain people over for dinner who won't maybe be able to invite you to their house for dinner. They're the ones that are in need, for whatever the reason. They're the ones we need to befriend. We need to, you know, when it comes to, to church gatherings, we, we need to be looking around for the individual who looks like he's new or doesn't know people or is kind of standoffish. And we need, we need to make sure that we go talk to them and, and, and befriend them. And, of course, if everybody does that, then that would be great. Uh, and I do think our church is doing even better at that. For a while, I think when I first got here, the church was friendly, but... Sometimes it took a while for someone new, unless they were like really outgoing. If they weren't really outgoing, it took a while for people to kind of warm up and have relationships. And that doesn't really happen too much anymore. It, it's, pretty, it's pretty quick, which is great. It, it's marvelous. Um, and people don't, aren't always thinking that this individual may actually, you may be, in a sense, maybe even saving someone's life. You don't know it. Right? But there's people who are looking for stuff. And that human connection is important. And because of all the social media that we have out there, there's much less physical connection with people. And so that need is kind of multiplied in the lives of others, and they need it. Um, and that is oftentimes some of the doors that God uses to help that individual begin to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ because they, they, they begin to recognize, um, I guess you would say humanity, a humanness in us that's important. So that action then is important. And the third thing is, uh, well, let me say this. Say this. So, uh, when it comes to action, there's, there's also the idea of, of sanctification. Um, you know, we're trying to help others to grow in their faith. Offering of money, 
uh, which is, which is um, t- to God or to others, which is a sacrifice, which is, which is a, a revelation of good works, offering of praise, um, where we gather together as believers and we sing praises to the Lord that is, that's uplifting to us. Um, you know, that singing has always been a really big part of the Christian faith. It's been a huge part. Um, many, there's been many psychological studies done on the effects of music on individuals. Um, I'm not talking about when individuals do studies on how does rock music affect people. I'm not dealing with all that stuff. But I'm just talking about a more general approach and then this idea of, of what happens when people are together singing and when there's a shared um, view of life, uh, shared convictions, uh, what, is, what does music do? And music has always been viewed as being that which is calming to the heart. Um, it's always been that which is able to ena- uh, enable people to, to, be, to move from sorrow uh, to joy or from sorrow to happiness. Uh, it's a way of expressing sorrow um, which is good for, for a human to be able to do, to, to get that out. Um, not just in a psychological sense, because we know we're, as we get those things out, we're, we're communicating with God himself who could do something. Um, but there's this great advantage to music. And then, of course, there is the learning of spiritual truth. We are rehearsing um, spiritual truth. Some of, the, some of the songs we sing are really heavy in, in doctrine. You don't always know that. Uh, but if you look at the words, there's a lot of truth in the songs that we sing. Uh, that's really vital to us to know. And as we sing songs, some of those things become deeply cemented in our hearts and minds and really helps to strengthen us as believers. So there's a lot to, the, to music. And so um, there's, a, there's something unique about just the hymns. And I'm not talking about the, how hymns are sung because it's not just one style of hymn. But there's something about hymns uh, in the writing of hymns and the way that hymns move uh, that's very unique to Christianity. And when it comes to the way the hymns are, um, it, is, it really is strengthening to the faith of believers. And you'll find that music is a big part of the lives of believers, no matter what history you, period of history you look in, or what country or what culture. Um, the Lord has used music in incredible ways. And that's not by accident uh, when it comes by that, to that. So it's really uh, a very important um, aspect. Then the last thing when it comes to fruit is this. So new converts. So if you lead someone to Christ, that's also spiritual fruit. Where some people have made a mistake in the past is sometimes certain gung-ho preachers will make it sound like the only way that you can have spiritual fruit is if you're leading someone to Christ. And they would then say, if you've not led someone to Christ in the past six months, what kind of a Christian are you? Well, you could be actually a very good one. All right? Um, As the Bible says, some water, some plant, some harvest. And so some of us may hardly ever see um, harvest, but we're planting all the time. Some of us may only be watering. Some of us have the opportunity to do all three. Um, but the bottom line is, is, is that, that, but that is though, that is spiritual fruit. And I guess the concept behind that is uh, you want to reproduce yourself in others. Meaning, you're not trying, I'm not, like, I'm not trying to make a clone of Bob, all right? But what I want to do is I want to produce, <coughs> reproduce myself in someone else's life, where that individual has a love for the Lord, uh, they commit themselves to Christ, and they have a love for the Word. Uh, and so we can reproduce ourselves in others by leading non-believers to Christ, and we can also do that by helping a new believer to grow in their faith. So we call that discipleship. And discipleship, again, doesn't have to be any special program. It can be, all right? But think of discipleship as being this. It's nothing more than you getting together with another believer for their spiritual good. That's what it is. So if you want to go through a book with them, great. If you just want to get together with them once a month and have coffee and share prayer requests and pray for them, terrific. All those things are spiritually beneficial for that person. There's not only one way to do that. Um, and so, but the idea is that we, and that's good for both people when that happens. And so we want to be involved in that kind of thing. So that's, that's the idea then uh, when it comes to, it. so it's not just new converts. It is the idea of reproducing yourself um, in the lives of others. Yes. Pastor, isn't this uh, all produced by the Spirit? When the, Jesus said when the Spirit comes, he will lead and guide us. Mm-hmm. 
and teach us, mm -hmm. lead and guide us into all truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> all these things that we do uh, for the glory of God is because the Spirit moves us to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you said something earlier that uh, was, you said it wasn't the fruit of the Spirit. Now, could you re uh, restate that? Because I don't remember. I have no idea what you're talking about. Because that wasn't in my notes. Some people mistake this for the fruit of the Spirit. Some people mistake this for the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. Oh, oh, no. What I said was Galatians 5, they use the word fruit in plural. That's incorrect. Oh, yeah. It's singular. Okay. That's what I said. But everything that we do mm -hmm. for the glory of God, correct. the Spirit moves us to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we overcome the flesh by listening to the Spirit. Yep, absolutely. And that, when we do it, that's all fruit of the Spirit. Correct. That's what I said. I, I just want to <laughs> clarify that's okay. my mind. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So one more thing. When Paul said what he said uh, uh, in Philippians, he used the word labor. So um, Paul was not saying that he wanted to have fruitful fun, but that it would be fruitful labor. But remember, labor does not have to be drudgery, okay? It doesn't have to be, uh, in fact, it can be really hard, but again, it doesn't mean that you don't like it, right? There are some people who are really into landscaping big time. And when they get into landscaping, man, you get dirty, sweaty, it's hard. Your back can hurt, but they love it, all right? So it's fun, okay, even though it's hard. So... When we talk about having spiritual fruit, and, and we want to emphasize the word labor, we want to emphasize the word labor because God uses that, but we want to make sure that we, we recognize that it's, it's, not, uh, it's not against having fun, but it's, it's not about um, being giddy. It's not a, it's, there's not a foolishness to this. There, but there is this idea that we are working at this. We are spending time thinking about this. Um, uh, it, it may require some discipline. So, look, for example, I just, I just mentioned that discipleship is really just meeting with another individual for their spiritual good. You got to plan to do it. You got to do it. All right? There's, it requires effort. It requires thought to do that. Um, you know, you're not always giddy. There'll be times when maybe you're supposed to meet with that individual on this particular day, and you got nothing else going on, but you don't feel like it. But you, you need to keep your word. That's important. And that person may be depending on you a lot for you to be there, so we need to make sure that we're faithful and that we're there. So there is, there's labor involved in that. So we want to make sure that, it, that uh, we don't want to have the attitude that if it's not fun, we shouldn't do it. Um, that's, that's not a proper attitude either. Um, so we don't want to shy away from that. Um, remember that uh, um, uh, Paul, there, uh, Paul said this, there's some exhortations to um, elders, and the idea is, is, um, is, is the verse where he, he talks about the elders to labor in the word. And the word for labor there does mean to work to the point of exhaustion. That's, that's what it means. All right, so the idea is, is that, um, so sometimes when I'm working on a sermon, sometimes as I'm, when I'm working on it, uh, Thoughts come like really easy and fast. And I am typing, and you know, I only type with two fingers and a thumb. So I'm doing my, and then sometimes if I get really going, it's two fingers, a thumb, and then a finger. And so I'm doing this, you know, I'm typing. I know that's kind of weird, but that's what I do. Uh, but anyway, um, and so there are sometimes uh, when I'll, I'll do a sermon, and there's so much material that when I get done, I actually have sermons for two weeks. So this is what I don't do. I go, oh, wow. I can cruise next week. I got my sermon done. No, 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 no. There's a lot more work I can still do. I can, I can, be, I can do extra prep work uh, for the sermons that are coming up. I can do extra prep work for things I'm doing, whether it's Wednesday night or whatever, or maybe uh, reading another book because there's another guy that I'm discipling and I need to get that work done. But the point is, and then I want to learn for myself. I want to know more. And then even the stuff I know, I want to know it better. I want to know it better. Um, and so in what... So it's kind of hard to describe this because I do, I make myself do certain things, but it's fun. It's not like I'm like, oh, I only read so many pages, I've got to read some. It's not like that. But 
there's still work involved in, in doing that. So the idea is, is that um, there are times that, that we, we got to put some time and effort and work into these things. So we're not against fun, but it's not just a happy-go-lucky, whatever happens, happens uh, kind of a thing. There's a seriousness to the life that we live as Christians. It's like when you get married. When you get married, marriage can be fun and a blast. But there's some work as well. All kind of works. Having kids is fun. But in the beginning, oh, mercy. No sleep. They continue to scream when they should be sleeping. And then when you want to sleep, they're awake. And then when you're wide awake, they're asleep. And there's all, there's, so there's work involved that sometimes can be pretty exhausting. All right? But you don't, but you don't say, this is just not fun. I think I, I need to go back to the hospital and give the kids back. All right? But we don't do that. All right? Because we, we love them. And, of course, just so you know, there has been times I've read stories where people have tried to do that. <laughs> they go back to the hospital and they, they have the kid. Here, this is too much. <laughs> kind of a thing. It's like, well, okay. Uh, but the idea is, is that so, so there's, it's all kind of mixed together when it comes to that. Um, so when it comes to Christianity... Um, it's very much like that. So let me read um, uh, verses 23 and 24. So Paul is still talking about that phrase, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And so he's talking about death and life and, and what, you know, what's, what, he, what does he want to do now. And so he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul here, his dilemma, you can tell this when you, look, when you read this, that Paul is absolutely convinced that there is life after death. He's convinced of that. He's absolutely convinced as to what it's going to be like. And he wants to be with the Lord. He, he wants that. He is ready to go. And... He's like, he says, this is really tough for me. He says, I'm, I want to go like now. But I'm also committed to Christ now. And I know if I stay, that's actually what you need. I know you need me to stay. And so he's, he's, this is a very real dilemma uh, for him. So it's not, he's not contemplating suicide. That's not what he's thinking. All right? But he just has this desire uh, to be with the Lord. And so that's, that's what he's thinking. So I, I think what we, if nothing else, one of the things that we should want in our lives is that when it comes to um, dying and heaven, we should have a very, very strong desire to be with the Lord because it's reality. We, it's, I know what's on the other side. I want to be there. Right? And so... It's hard, I think, I, I think it would be rare for some, a person to get to the point like Paul where they're like, man, I'm not even sure I want to keep living. I've, I've known many older people, who, you know, they've lived a life and they've said that. It's rare to come across a young person who says, yeah, I, I want to be in heaven like right now. I have met a few. I, I mean, they're, 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 and again, they're not suicidal, but they are, I want to be there. It's going to be so great. I'm just tired of all of this kind of a thing. Um, and so that's where Paul is. So, again, when he says that, my desire is to be with Christ, for that is far better. When he says that it's far better, that literally, in the Greek language, it means that is very much better. That might be bad English, but that's what he means. Um, but the idea is, is that he is trying to express in, in the highest way possible that this is more better or much better to be with Christ because it, surpa it surpasses everything in this life uh, so much so that it is just very much better than the greatest day you could ever have on the planet. All right? and, we, and so we need to think about heaven as being that. It is that. Um, it, uh, remember, I think someone said this once. It's, it's an old phrase. Uh, but for the believer, remember that for us, this is the worst it gets for us. For the non-believer, this is the best it gets for them. This life now. That's, that's reality. That's not just some cute saying. That, that's real, which is, I'm so glad. I really can't imagine, I really can't see it in my head how great it's going to be. I really, I really like being alive. 
I like being with my family, my wife, my kids, my grandkids. I like, I love that. I, it's hard to imagine something better than that. And God is telling me when I read the Bible that being in heaven is better than that. And man, that's got to be pretty, just phenomenal, uh, to say the least. So we, so, you know, we want to make sure as we grow as Christians that we, um, that we are aware of that, that that's a part of our thinking, um, as an, or part of our thought, uh, part of our assurance, as far as, as we live life, that um, uh, when it comes to the future, we really have a grasp on what is there waiting, waiting for us. So uh, let me stop there, and uh, we will pick it up here. There's a few more things to say about this, and we'll move on and uh, try to finish up the chapter. So don't forget next week, because it's Thanksgiving, there's no Wednesday night Bible study. It's on Tuesday night. So that's what we call it, Wednesday on Tuesday. So, so next Tuesday at 645. So it's everything we do on Wednesday, but we do it on Tuesday. Um, that way, people who travel uh, will have, can travel on Wednesday and uh, that kind of thing. So uh, we'll meet then. All right? Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the witness of Paul, for the message of Paul, for the words of Paul. Father, it's, uh, sometimes we can get a little jealous of the incredible confidence that Paul had in you and your word. We know, Lord, that he met Christ. We know, Lord, that he had some unbelievable experiences as we read about uh, these things in the book of Acts concerning him. And yet, Father, with all of that, uh, with that as a background, when we hear him say that to be with you is far better we know, Lord, that he kind of had a glimpse of that and that he's, he's speaking a little bit out of experience. And so even though it's hard for us to imagine, Father, we know that it's true and we thank you for that. And it's so good, Father, to know, especially in light of the direction the world continues to go in. Uh, it's not good. The violence is insane. Uh, and we know, Lord, that it, it seems... Uh, that a lot of these things are going to not only continue, but that they're going to get worse and may maybe even more widespread to a degree. And, and Christians are going to be on the short end of a lot of this. We just thank you, Lord, that there's so much there for us that you've promised. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to very much be aware of the people that you bring into our life and to be aware that you are bringing us into the lives of others. And, the Father, we have the message of Christ. We have the message of hope. In the same way, Lord, as you use people in our lives, as you use circumstances in our lives to bring us to a point where we recognize our need for Christ, Father, we pray that you will use us in that way in the lives of others. And whether we're watering or planting or harvesting, Father, it's exciting to be a part of your work. We want to be a part of your work, and we pray that you would continue to encourage us to do the things that you've called us to do. So, Father, we ask now that as you dismiss us, Lord, that you would be gracious towards us, that you would keep us safe, and that, Lord, indeed, you would help us to recognize opportunities you give to us to do good to others, and then help us, Father, to pursue that. We thank you, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.